Chapter Thirty Seven of Tom Jones. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Amanda Hindman. Tom Jones by Henry Fielding. Book Ten, Chapters Seven through Nine. Chapter Seven, in which are concluded the adventures that happened at the inn at Upton in the first place then this gentleman just arrived was no other person than squire western himself who was come hither in pursuit of his daughter and had he fortunately been two hours earlier he had not only found her but his niece into the bargain for such was the wife of mr fitzpatrick who had run away with her five years before out of the custody of that sage lady madam western now this lady had departed from the inn much about the same time with Sophia, for having been waked by the voice of her husband, she had sent up for the landlady, and being by her apprised of the matter, had bribed the good woman, at an extravagant price, to furnish her with horses for her escape. Such prevalence had money in this family, and though the mistress would have turned away her maid for a corrupt hussy if she had known as much as the reader, yet she was no more proof against corruption herself than poor Susan had been mr western and his nephew were not known to one another nor indeed would the former have taken any notice of the latter if he had known him for this being a stolen match and consequently an unnatural one in the opinion of the good squire he had from the time of her committing it abandoned the poor young creature who was then no more than eighteen as a monster and had never since suffered her to be named in his presence the kitchen was now a scene of universal confusion western inquiring after his daughter and fitzpatrick as eagerly after his wife when jones entered the room unfortunately having sophia's muff in his hand as soon as western saw jones he set up the same holla as is used by sportsmen when their game is in view he then immediately run up and laid hold of jones crying we have got the dog fox i warrant the bitch is not far off the jargon which followed for some minutes where many spoke different things at the same time as it would be very difficult to describe so would it be no less unpleasant to read jones having at length shaken mr western off and some of the company having interfered between them our hero protested his innocence as to knowing anything of the lady when parson supple stepped up and said it is folly to deny it for why the marks of guilt are in thy hands i will myself asseverate and bind it by an oath that the muff thou bearest in thy hand belongeth unto madam sophia for i have frequently observed her of later days to bear it about her my daughter's muff cries the squire in a rage hath he got my daughter's muff bear witness the goods are found upon him i'll have him before a justice of peace this instant where is my daughter villain sir said jones i beg you would be pacified the muff i acknowledge is the young lady's but upon my honour i have never seen her at these words western lost all patience and grew inarticulate with rage some of the servants had acquainted fitzpatrick who mr western was the good irishman therefore thinking he had now an opportunity to do an act of service to his uncle and by that means might possibly obtain his favour stepped up to jones and cried out upon my conscience sir you may be ashamed of denying your having seen the gentleman's daughter before my face when you know i found you there upon the bed together then turning to western he offered to conduct him immediately to the room where his daughter was which offer being accepted he the squire the parson and some others ascended directly to mrs waters chamber which they entered with no less violence than mr fitzpatrick had done before 
the poor lady started from her sleep with as much amazement as terror and beheld at her bedside a figure which might very well be supposed to have escaped out of bedlam such wildness and confusion were in the looks of mr western who no sooner saw the lady than he started back shewing sufficiently by his manner before he spoke that this was not the person sought after so much more tenderly do women value their reputation than their persons that though the latter seemed now in more danger than before yet as the former was secure the lady screamed not with such violence as she had done on the other occasion however she no sooner found herself alone than she abandoned all thoughts of further repose and as she had sufficient reason to be dissatisfied with her present lodging she dressed herself with all possible expedition mr western now proceeded to search the whole house but to as little purpose as he had disturbed poor mrs waters he then returned disconsolate into the kitchen where he found jones in the custody of his servants this violent uproar had raised all the people in the house though it was yet scarcely daylight among these was a grave gentleman who had the honour to be in the commission of the peace for the county of worcester of which mr western was no sooner informed than he offered to lay his complaint before him the justice declined executing his office as he said he had no clerk present nor no book about justice business and that he could not carry all the law in his head about stealing away daughters and such sort of things here mr fitzpatrick offered to lend him his assistance informing the company that he had been himself bred to the law and indeed he had served three years as clerk to an attorney in the north of ireland when choosing a genteeler walk in life he quitted his master came over to england and set up that business which requires no apprenticeship namely that of a gentleman in which he had succeeded as hath been already partly mentioned mr fitzpatrick declared that the law concerning daughters was out of the present case that stealing a muff was undoubtedly felony and the goods being found upon the person were sufficient evidence of the fact the magistrate upon the encouragement of so learned a coadjutor and upon the violent intercession of the squire was at length prevailed upon to seat himself in the chair of justice where being placed upon viewing the muff which jones still held in his hand and upon the parson swearing it to be the property of mr western he desired mr fitzpatrick to draw up a commitment which he said he would sign jones now desired to be heard which was at last with difficulty granted him he then produced the evidence of mr partridge as to the finding it but what was still more susan deposed that sophia herself had delivered the muff to her and had ordered her to convey it into the chamber where mr jones had found it whether a natural love of justice or the extraordinary comeliness of jones had wrought on susan to make the discovery i will not determine but such were the effects of her evidence that the magistrate throwing himself back in his chair declared that the matter was now altogether as clear on the side of the prisoner as it had before been against him with which the parson concurred saying the lord forbid he should be instrumental in committing an innocent person to durance the justice then arose acquitted the prisoner and broke up the court mr western now gave every one present a hearty curse and immediately ordering his horses departed in pursuit of his daughter without taking the least notice of his nephew fitzpatrick or returning any answer to his claim of kindred notwithstanding all the obligations he had just received from that gentleman in the violence moreover of his hurry and of his passion he luckily forgot to demand the muff of jones i say luckily for he would have died on the spot rather than have parted with it 
Jones, likewise, with his friend Partridge, set forward the moment he had paid his reckoning, in quest of his lovely Sophia, whom he now resolved never more to abandon the pursuit of, nor could he bring himself even to take leave of Mrs. Waters, of whom he detested the very thoughts, as she had been, though not designedly, the occasion of his missing the happiest interview with Sophia, to whom he now vowed eternal constancy. As for Mrs. Waters, she took the opportunity of the coach which was going to Bath, for which place she set out in company with the two Irish gentlemen, the landlady kindly lending her her clothes in return for which she was contented only to receive about double their value as a recompense for the loan. Upon the road she was perfectly reconciled to Mr. Fitzpatrick, who was a very handsome fellow, and indeed did all she could to console him in the absence of his wife. Thus ended the many odd adventures which Mr. Jones encountered at his inn at Upton, where they talked to this day of the beauty and lovely behaviour of the charming Sophia, by the name of the Somersetshire Angel. End of chapter 7 Chapter 8 In which the history goes backward Before we proceed any farther in our history, it may be proper to look a little back in order to account for the extraordinary appearance of Sophia and her father at the inn at Upton. The reader may be pleased to remember that, in the ninth chapter of the seventh book of our history, we left Sophia, after a long debate between love and duty, deciding the cause, as it usually, I believe, happens, in favour of the former. This debate had arisen, as we have there shown, from a visit which her father had just before made her, in order to force her consent to a marriage with Bliffle and which he had understood to be fully implied in her acknowledgment that she neither must nor could refuse any absolute command of his now from this visit the squire retired to his evening potation overjoyed at the success he had gained with his daughter and as he was of a social disposition and willing to have partakers in his happiness the beer was ordered to flow very liberally into the kitchen so that before eleven in the evening there was not a single person sober in the house except only mrs western herself and the charming sophia early in the morning a messenger was dispatched to summon mr Bliffle for though the squire imagined that young gentleman had been much less acquainted than he really was with the former aversion of his daughter as he had not however yet received her consent he longed impatiently to communicate it to him not doubting but that the intended bride herself would confirm it with her lips as to the wedding it had the evening before been fixed by the male parties to be celebrated on the next morning save one Breakfast was now set forth in the parlour where Mr. Bliffle attended, and where the squire and his sister likewise were assembled, and now Sophia was ordered to be called. O oh, Shakespeare, had I thy pen, O oh, Hogarth, had I thy pencil, then would I draw the picture of the poor serving-man, who, with pale countenance, staring eyes, chattering teeth, faltering tongue, and trembling limbs, e'en such a man so faint so spiritless so dull so dead in look so woe-begone drew priam's curtains in the dead of night and would have told him half his troy was burned entered the room and declared that madame sophia was not to be found not to be found cried the squire starting from his chair zounds and damnation blood and fury where when how what not to be found where law brother said mrs western with true political coldness you are always throwing yourself into such violent passions for nothing my niece i suppose is only walked out into the garden i protest you are grown so unreasonable that it is impossible to live in the house with you 
"'Nay, nay,' answered the squire, returning as suddenly to himself as he had gone from himself. "'If that be all the matter, it signifies not much. But, upon my soul, my mind misgave me when the fellow said she was not to be found.' He then gave orders for the bell to be rung in the garden, and sat himself contentedly down. No two things could be more the reverse of each other than were the brother and sister in most instances, particularly in this, that as the brother never foresaw anything at a distance, but was most sagacious in immediately seeing everything the moment it had happened, so the sister eternally foresaw at a distance, but was not so quick-sighted to objects before her eyes. Of both these the reader may have observed examples, and indeed both their several talents were excessive, for as the sister often foresaw what never came to pass, so the brother often saw much more than was actually the truth. This was not, however, the case at present. The same report was brought from the garden as before had been brought from the chamber, that Madame Sophia was not to be found. The squire himself now sallied forth, and began to roar forth the name of Sophia, as loudly, and in as hoarse a voice, as Wylam did Hercules that of Hylas. And as the poet tells us that the whole shore echoed back the name of that beautiful youth, so did the house, the garden, and all the neighbouring fields resound nothing but the name of Sophia, in the hoarse voices of the men, and in the shrill pipes of the women, while Echo seemed so pleased to repeat the beloved sound that, if there is really such a person, I believe Ovid hath belied her sex. Nothing reigned for a long time but confusion, till at last the squire, having sufficiently spent his breath, returned to the parlour where he found Mrs. Western and Mr. Bliffle, and threw himself, with the utmost dejection in his countenance, into a great chair. Here Mrs. Western began to apply the following consolation. "'Brother, I am sorry for what hath happened, and that my niece should have behaved herself in a manner so unbecoming her family. But it is all your own doings, and you have nobody to thank but yourself. You know she hath been educated always in a manner directly contrary to my advice, and now you see the consequence. Have I not a thousand times argued with you about giving my niece her own will? But you know I never could prevail upon you, and when I had taken so much pains to eradicate her headstrong opinions, and to rectify your errors in policy, you know she was taken out of my hands, so that I have nothing to answer for. Had I been trusted entirely with the care of her education, no such accident as this had ever befallen you, so that you must comfort yourself by thinking it was all your own doing, and indeed what else could be expected from such indulgence. Zounds, sister, answered he, you are enough to make one mad. Have I indulged her? Have I given her her will? It was no longer ago than last night that I threatened, if she disobeyed me, to confine her to her chamber upon bread and water as long as she lived you would provoke the patience of job did ever mortal hear the like replied she brother if i had not the patience of fifty jobs you would make me forget all decency and decorum why would you interfere did i not beg you did i not entreat you to leave the whole conduct to me you have defeated all the operations of the campaign by one false step would any man in his senses have provoked a daughter by such threats as these how often have i told you that english women are not to be treated like saracian slaves we have the protection of the world we are to be won by gentle means only and not to be hectored and bullied and beat into compliance i thank heaven no sleek law governs here brother you have a roughness in your manner which no woman but myself would bear i do not wonder my niece was frightened and terrified into taking this measure and to speak honestly i think my niece will be justified to the world for what she hath done 
I repeat it to you again, brother, you must comfort yourself by remembering that it is all your own fault. How often have I advised? Here Western rose hastily from his chair, and venting two or three horrid imprecations, ran out of the room. When he was departed, his sister expressed more bitterness, if possible, against him than she had done while he was present, for the truth of which she appealed to Mr. Bliffle, who, with great complacence, acquiesced entirely in all she said, but excused all the faults of Mr. Western as they must be considered, he said, to have proceeded from the too inordinate fondness of a father, which must be allowed the name of an amiable weakness. "'So much the more inexcusable,' answered the lady, "'for whom doth he ruin by his fondness but his own child?' To which Bliffle immediately agreed. Mistress Western then began to express great confusion on the account of Mr. Bliffle, and of the usage which he had received from a family to which he intended so much honour. On this subject she treated the folly of her niece with great severity, but concluded with throwing the whole on her brother, who, she said, was inexcusable to have proceeded so far without better assurances of his daughter's consent. But he was, says she, always of a violent headstrong temper, and I can scarce forgive myself for all the advice I have thrown away upon him. After much of this kind of conversation, which perhaps would not greatly entertain the reader, was it here particularly related, Mr. Bliffle took his leave and returned home, not highly pleased with his disappointment, which, however, the philosophy which he had acquired from Square, and the religion infused into him by Thwackham, together with somewhat else, taught him to bear rather better than more passionate lovers bear these kinds of evils. End of chapter 8 Chapter 9 The Escape of Sophia it is now time to look after Sophia, whom the reader, if he loves her half so well as I do, will rejoice to find escape from the clutches of her passionate father and from those of her dispassionate lover. Twelve times did the iron register of time beat on the sonorous bell-metal, summoning the ghosts to rise and walk their nightly round. In plainer language, it was twelve o'clock, and all the family, as we have said, lay buried in drink and sleep, except only Mrs. Western, who was deeply engaged in reading a political pamphlet, and except our heroine, who now softly stole downstairs, and having unbarred and unlocked one of the house doors, sallied forth and hastened to the place of appointment. Notwithstanding the many pretty arts which ladies sometimes practice to display their fears on every little occasion, almost as many as the other sex uses to conceal theirs. Certainly there is a degree of courage which not only becomes a woman, but is often necessary to enable her to discharge her duty. It is indeed the idea of fierceness and not of bravery which destroys the female character, for who can read the story of the justly celebrated Aria without conceiving as high an opinion of her gentleness and tenderness as of her fortitude? At the same time, perhaps, many a woman who shrieks at a mouse or a rat may be capable of poisoning a husband, or what is worse, of driving him to poison himself. Sophia, with all the gentleness which a woman can have, had all the spirit which she ought to have. When, therefore, she came to the place of appointment, and instead of meeting her maid, as was agreed, saw a man ride directly up to her, she neither screamed out nor fainted away. Not that her pulse then beat with its usual regularity, for she was at first under some surprise and apprehension. But these were relieved almost as soon as raised, when the man, pulling off his hat, asked her, in a very submissive manner, if her ladyship did not expect to meet another lady, and then proceeded to inform her that he was sent to conduct her to that lady. Sophia could have no possible suspicion of any falsehood in this account. She therefore mounted resolutely behind the fellow, who conveyed her safe to a town about five miles distant, where she had the satisfaction of finding the good measure's honour 
They now debated what course to take in order to avoid the pursuit of Mr. Western, who they knew would send after them in a few hours. The London road had such charms for honour that she was desirous of going on directly, alleging that, as Sophia could not be missed till eight or nine the next morning, her pursuers would not be able to overtake her, even though they knew which way she had gone. But Sophia had too much at stake to venture anything to chance, nor did she dare trust too much to her tender limbs in a contest which was to be decided only by swiftness. She resolved, therefore, to travel across the country for at least twenty or thirty miles, and then to take the direct road to London. So having hired horses to go twenty miles one way when she intended to go twenty miles the other, she set forward with the same guide behind whom she had ridden from her father's house. The guide having now taken up behind him, in the room of Sophia, a much heavier as well as much less lovely burden, being indeed a huge portmanteau well stuffed with those outside ornaments by means of which the fair honour hoped to gain many conquests and finally to make her fortune in London City. When they had gone about two hundred paces from the inn on the London road, Sophia rode up to the guide, and with a voice much fuller of honey than was ever that of Plato, though his mouth is supposed to have been a beehive, begged him to take the first turning which led towards Bristol. Reader, I am not superstitious, nor any great believer of modern miracles. I do not, therefore, deliver the following as a certain truth, for indeed I can scarce credit it myself. But the fidelity of a historian obliges me to relate what hath been confidently asserted. The horse, then, on which the guide rode, is reported to have been so charmed by Sophia's voice that he made a full stop and expressed an unwillingness to proceed any farther. Perhaps, however, the fact may be true and less miraculous than it hath been represented, since the natural cause seems adequate to the effect. For as the guide at that moment desisted from a constant application of his armed right heel, for like Cuterbras he wore but one spur, it is more than possible that this omission alone might occasion the beast to stop, especially as this was very frequent with him at other times. But if the voice of Sophia had really an effect on the horse, it had very little on the rider. He answered somewhat surlily that Meester had ordered him to go a different way, and that he should lose his place if he went any other than that he was ordered. Sophia, finding all her persuasions had no effect, began now to add irresistible charms to her voice, charms which, according to the proverb, makes the old mare trot instead of standing still, charms to which modern ages have attributed all that irresistible force which the ancients imputed to perfect oratory. In a word, she promised she would reward him to his utmost expectation. The lad was not totally deaf to these promises, but he disliked their being indefinite, for though perhaps he had never heard that word, yet that, in fact, was his objection. He said gentlefolks did not consider the case of poor Volks, that he had liked to have been turned away the other day for riding about the country with a gentleman from Squire Allworthy's who did not reward him as he should have done. "'With whom?' says Sophia eagerly. "'With a gentleman from Squire Allworthy's,' repeated the lad. "'The squire's son, I think they call him.' whither which way did he go says sophia why a little o one side of bristol about twenty miles off answered the lad guide me says sophia to the same place and i'll give thee a guinea or two if one is not sufficient to be certain said the boy it is honestly worth two when your ladyship considers what a risk i run but however if your ladyship will promise me the two guineas i'll e'en venture to be certain it is a sinful thing to ride about my meester's horses but one comfort is i can only be turned away and two guineas will partly make me amends 
The bargain being thus struck, the lad turned aside into the Bristol Road, and Sophia set forward in pursuit of Jones, highly contrary to the remonstrances of Mrs. Honour, who had much more desire to see London than to see Mr. Jones, for indeed she was not his friend with her mistress, as he had been guilty of some neglect in certain pecuniary civilities which are by custom due to the waiting gentlewoman in all love affairs, and more especially in those of a clandestine kind this we impute rather to the carelessness of his temper than to any want of generosity but perhaps she derived it from the latter motive certain it is that she hated him very bitterly on that account and resolved to take every opportunity of injuring him with her mistress it was therefore highly unlucky for her that she had gone to the very same town and inn whence jones had started and still more unlucky was she in having stumbled on the same guide and on this accidental discovery which sophia had made our travellers arrived at Hambrook at the break of day, where Honour was against her will charged to inquire the route which Mr. Jones had taken. Of this, indeed, the guide himself could have informed them, but Sophia, I know not for what reason, never asked him the question. This was the village where Jones met the Quaker. When Mrs. Honour had made her report from the landlord, Sophia, with much difficulty, procured some indifferent horses, which brought her to the inn where Jones had been confined, rather by the misfortune of meeting with a surgeon than by having met with a broken head. Here, Honour, being again charged with a commission of inquiry, had no sooner applied herself to the landlady, and had described the person of Mr. Jones, than that sagacious woman began, in the vulgar phrase, to smell a rat when sophia therefore entered the room instead of answering the maid the landlady addressing herself to the mistress began the following speech good lack a day why there now who would have thought it i protest the loveliest couple that ever i beheld i fackens madam it is no wonder the squire run on so about your ladyship he told me indeed you was the finest lady in the world and to be sure so you be mercy on him poor heart i be pitied him so i did when he used to hug his pillow and call it his dear madam sophia i did all i could to dissuade him from going to the wars i told him there were men enow that were good for nothing else but to be killed that had not the love of such fine ladies sure says sophia the good woman is distracted no no cries the landlady i am not distracted what doth your ladyship think i don't know then i assure you he told me all what saucy fellow cries honour told you anything of my lady no saucy fellow answered the landlady but the young gentleman you inquired after and a very pretty young gentleman he is and he loves madam sophia western to the bottom of his soul he loved my lady i'd have you to know woman she is meat for his master nay honour said sophia interrupting her don't be angry with the good woman she intends no harm no marry don't i answered the landlady emboldened by the soft accents of sophia and then launched into a long narrative too tedious to be here set down in which some passages dropped that gave a little offence to sophia and much more to her waiting woman who hence took occasion to abuse poor jones to her mistress the moment they were alone together saying that he must be a very pitiful fellow and could have no love for a lady whose name he could thus prostitute in an alehouse sophia did not see his behaviour in so very disadvantageous a light and was perhaps more pleased with the violent raptures of his love which the landlady exaggerated as much as she had done every other circumstance than she was offended with the rest and indeed she imputed the whole to the extravagance or rather ebullience of his passion and to the openness of his heart 
This incident, however, being afterwards revived in her mind and placed in the most odious colours by honour, served to heighten and give credit to those unlucky occurrences at Upton, and assisted the waiting woman in her endeavours to make her mistress depart from that inn without seeing Jones. The landlady, finding Sophia intended to stay no longer than till her horses were ready, and that without either eating or drinking, soon withdrew when honour began to take her mistress to task for indeed she used great freedom and after a long harangue in which she reminded her of her intention to go to london and gave frequent hints of the impropriety of pursuing a young fellow she at last concluded with this serious exhortation for heaven's sake madam consider what you are about and whither you are going this advice to a lady who had already rode near forty miles and in no very agreeable season may seem foolish enough it may be supposed she had well considered and resolved this already nay mrs honour by the hint she threw out seemed to think so and this i doubt not is the opinion of many readers who have i make no doubt been long since well convinced of the purpose of our heroine and have heartily condemned her for it as a wanton baggage but in reality this was not the case sophia had been lately so distracted between hope and fear her duty and love to her father her hatred to blifil her compassion and why should we not confess the truth her love for jones which last the behaviour of her father of her aunt of every one else and more particularly of jones himself had blown into a flame that her mind was in that confused state which may be truly said to make us ignorant of what we do or whither we go or rather indeed indifferent as to the consequence of either the prudent and sage advice of her maid produced however some cool reflection and she at length determined to go to gloucester and thence to proceed directly to london but unluckily a few miles before she entered that town she met the hack attorney who as is before mentioned had dined there with mr jones this fellow being well known to mrs honour stopped and spoke to her of which sophia at that time took little notice more than to inquire who he was but having had a more particular account from honour of this man afterwards at gloucester and hearing of the great expedition he usually made in travelling for which as hath been before observed he was particularly famous recollecting likewise that she had overheard mrs honour inform him that they were going to gloucester she began to fear lest her father might by this fellow's means be able to trace her to that city wherefore if she should there strike into the london road she apprehended he would certainly be able to overtake her she therefore altered her resolution and having hired horses to go a week's journey away which she did not intend to travel she again set forward after a light refreshment contrary to the desire and earnest entreaties of her maid and to the no less vehement remonstrances of mrs whitefield who from good breeding or perhaps from good nature for the poor young lady appeared much fatigued pressed her very hardly to stay that evening at gloucester having refreshed herself only with some tea and with lying about two hours on the bed while her horses were getting ready she resolutely left mrs whitefield's about eleven at night and striking directly into the worcester road within less than four hours arrived at that very inn where we last saw her having thus traced our heroine very particularly back from her departure till her arrival at upton we shall in a very few words bring her father to the same place who having received the first scent from the post-boy who conducted his daughter to hambrook very easily traced her afterwards to gloucester whence he pursued her to upton as he had learned mr jones had taken that route for partridge to use the squire's expression left everywhere a strong scent behind him and he doubted not in the least but sophia travelled or as he phrased it ran the same way 
he used indeed a very coarse expression which need not be here inserted as fox-hunters who alone will understand it will easily suggest it to themselves end of chapter nine end of section thirty seven recording by amanda hindman england mississippi www.livinginbooks.blogspot.com